Hello, and welcome to Talk to Tate Tuesdays. As always, thank you for spending five to seven minutes of your day with me, unless we have guests. And friends, today I have a very special guest. You know, during the last few years of my podcast, I've had some comments from people saying that they don't believe everything I'm telling them is true. I've been called Forrest Gump. People have been dotted. I, I brought my mom on to verify some of the stories and that didn't seem to be enough. So today I'm taking it to another level. I'm taking it to the man I call my minister. I've known this gentleman for about 45 years. So he was there when I was a young kid doing all kind of crazy stuff. Late, you know what? Let's just get to the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce my minister, my friend, Willard Krigler. Welcome, Willard. Welcome. And I thank you so much, Tate, for the invitation to come and to tell it all, <laughs> or at least some of it all. <laughs> so, Craig, I'm going to jump right into it. Um, you came aboard um, in Los Angeles. Our church is located in what was formerly known as South Central Los Angeles. There's no more South Central Los Angeles. It's just South Los Angeles. And when you came aboard, they brought you on as a youth minister. That wasn't even known in most churches back then, especially in the black church. There was no such thing as a youth minister. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, Normandy was a trailblazer in that regard because there were no black uh, gentlemen serving as youth ministers in a congregation and certain there were no full-time even part-time ministers that were on staff. Uh, they may have had volunteers of someone who wanted to help coordinate uh, youth activities for their congregation. But uh, I, I was, uh, was blessed to be in the right place at the right time. Prior to coming to Normandy, I was a program director for the YMCA. So I had an orientation and a background working with kids and developing programs. And I was running a football program for the Y and Normandy Christian School was one of the schools that were part of our league. And so I came to the attention of the Normandy leadership, Brother Carol Pitts and Brother John Green. And uh, they sat me down, interviewed me, and um, I said yes. Well, Craig, you know what? The interesting thing is when you came aboard, uh, there were reservations about you <laughs> uh, from from the youth because we didn't even know what what, the, what that meant. If that meant we were going to get more scriptures to read or what, uh, we didn't know what to expect. But I want to tell you, during my uh, teenage years, the stuff that we did, and I'm going to go over some of that stuff in a minute, but you just you didn't just come in and bring in Bible scriptures and we're here on Sunday. We were together a lot. We did a lot of activities. And I'm gonna what was that your strategy when you came in? And I'll talk about some of those activities in a minute. What was your strategy coming in to um, face it? I think we had like 50, 60 kids that you had to win over. Yeah, it normally was also structured with a program for its younger kids. And they were called the Whirly Birds, the Jet Cadets. Right. Those were it was a Saturday program that was in place, but they didn't have anything for the junior high at, that was referred to at that time. Junior high and high school kids. So when I came in, my primary role was to develop some type of program activities that would help keep 
that age group centered here at Normandy, that Normandy would be the place that they would want to come back each week and to be a part of. And so when I came in, I just took notice of how your group interacted with each other. Right. And also how you guys interacted with other Kiss Mother congregations. Right. And it was clear at that time that there was this kind of crosstown rivalry (laughs) (laughs) with uh, a few congregations. And so my strategy was, okay, let's work on two things. Let's get this group closer together and then start branching out where we were making contacts with other kids from other congregations because it didn't make any sense to me for us to hate on people that you didn't even know. Right, right. So, okay, so I'm going to talk about some of the events that we did. And when I tell people this, they're like, this happened at your church? And I'm like, yeah. Now, you were literally in your 20s. Yes. You, every summer, and we started off originally going on buses, we went to the National Youth Conference. Right. Well, even before that, we would go to the state conference. So you would take a hundred or so kids up to the Bay Area because it seemed like we always going up to the Bay Area. You're twenty something years old. You're taking a hundred and some teenage kids to the Bay Area, and then later on that summer, you did it again. However, it was always somewhere across country. I'll name a few. We've been to Boston, Denver, Tennessee, Florida, Seattle. So we're not talking about going just next door. We're talking about going across country with other people's children. And you're 20 something years old. And we had two, and one year I think we had like three buses. Mm-hmm. So were you, what gave you the confidence to do that? Well, I think uh, a number of things that we were blessed to have people who were willing to invest in you guys, counselors. Um, I think one of the persons that I depended upon so much was a gentleman called Michael Smith. Mm -hmm. Michael was my right-hand man, and he knew most of the kids here, and I think you all knew him. And there were a few other uh, young couples. Of course, we have to mention Donald Harris. Donald Harris. Donald was the he was the OG, right, for youth conferences. He knew the protocols that I did not know. And so I learned a lot from him by him bamming on my door, <laughs> waking me up in the mornings uh, at, the, at the National Youth Conference. So he taught me the ropes from that standpoint. But I don't think I would have been able to, to make it were it not for the investment of so many other uh, young adults that says, you know, um, we're going to take advantage of investing in the next generation. And you know what created the great thing? When we would go to these places, we would actually stop and see things. I remember seeing the Ark in St. Louis. I remember one year we went to the Wash, back to D.C., and we saw the Mint. And we would actually have tours of the city. So we weren't just on a bus for three days and not seeing anything. We actually got to see the country. So um, that was phenomenal for me. And I know my friends. My other favorite thing was, my favorite thing was the day after Thanksgiving. And I think I did this like 10 years in a row. <laughs> the day after Thanksgiving, we would go to Pepperdine. Pepperdine. And we would stay on campus for the weekend at yeah. Pepperdine, which gave us an experience to see 
a college campus and the cafeteria and all that. So, and we also was the first time for a lot of us that we actually interacted with other races. Because I think we were probably one of the only, one of the few black congregations that were there. Right. So. Yeah, it, it was, again, the, the right time and we were ready for the right situation. We were looking to involve our young people in a variety of activities and we were blessed that Pepperdine wanted to provide activities for, again, Caucasian kids from all over the state and Pepperdine was the ideal place to have that kind of activities where kids uh, went to class together, they had uh, devotionals together, uh, they ate together, uh, they had all kinds of competitive sports and so it, it was it was a good time and it gave us some cross-cultural experiences that we would not have had at that level. So we, we were there at the right time. The other thing I want to talk about is um, something that was near and dear to my heart, and uh, people have asked me about this, was our traveling uh, drama group, The Gospel Act. The Gospel Act. The Gospel yes. Act. And I tell people how we performed all around the country. We always made sure that we got to perform not just in California, again, in different states um, at different times for different audiences. And then that turned into a puppet ministry that we did stuff. Um, so I don't want to thank you. People, a lot of stuff I'm able to think about or write, you actually allowed us to write the sketches. We run by you. I'm like, nah, that's not good or that's good. But that was so important because it got us in front of an audience. It taught us how to present ourselves or how to make things relevant. So it, it was, again, and we that idea came to me as we watched other groups. I think can't remember which congregation we saw the first drama group, but it clicked. If those kids can do it, then our kids can do the same. Uh, because there was a, a saying out of a group, this goes back a little further, called the Black Poets. Mm-hmm. And they use the term that black people are actors, are actors, are actors. Right. <laughs> and so I knew that, you know, this group could do well uh, if given the chance. Uh, to act out material that had content, strong biblical spiritual content, and funny, and it would make people do the uh, Arsenio Hall thing. Hmm. Exactly. Yeah. You we know, lot, with yes. the message. You know, right. and that again was a was a very effective ministry, um, and it gave you and the, some of the other guys opportunities do what you had within you to, to do. The, the skill of writing, being creative, acting out. So it, it was a, it was a good time. Um, we did very well. From that, I you know, I'm not to be braggadocious, but I went on to win Mr. National Youth Conference. And then I wrote for Byron, and Byron won the next yeah, year, and yeah, Dana right, won. Dana. And we all right. helped each other out. And I think it started because <laughs> we had the confidence based on uh, our skill sets that we learned from the Gospel Act. Yeah, I, I would I would agree, and it it got to be that uh, people expected to see the Normandy Youth Group come and bring a lot of value to the youth conference, uh, other than the classes and the preaching and the singing. We brought a, a, a different element, and uh, we found a good place. 
Yeah. So I'm going to tone stuff down for a minute. So again, we had great times, but we also had some times where, Craig, you were almost like a surrogate father to a lot of us. We came to you with a lot of stuff. Uh, Pregnancies. (laughs) Um, Just death. We lost people. We lost like Eric and and Ralph and and Freddie. And you were always the person that we would go to and I mean, just any, when I was going to get married, I came to you to talk about marriage. So it wasn't just about the church per se. It was, but it wasn't. So thank you for that. And I know my friends, everyone that grew up with me, they also had the same experience with you. I, again, I I attribute that, that God designed what we had for that time. Um, it hasn't been duplicated. No since that and that that is a tragedy to me because my hope was that what we had established would replicate itself for the next generation because the group coming after you needed some of the same things that you all needed and so um, I'm just hopeful that at some point um, what we started will be revisited and more so and that the next generation or this generation of parents will become more involved. Because I have to, again, as much as we had uh, after 14 years, I got burnt out. Emotionally, I got burnt out. Um, I had three kids of my own. They went on a lot of the, the camping trips right. that, that the youth group went on. But I missed out on some things with them because I was deeply involved in the youth group here. So parents need to get more involved and hands-on in terms of really raising their kids. You know, Craig, and I'm going to fast forward to today. Um, A lot of every day we wake up to some kind of ridiculous tragedy. Yes. And a lot of it is because the parents aren't paying attention to their kids. If you could give like just one or two words of wisdom or advice to America. What do you think or how do we think we should handle things now? You know, and I'm going to skip. When I was growing, when we were here at the church, the one flaw I think that I grew up with was uh, we didn't address mental health. Mm. And it was always, you know, you're not praying hard enough or this or that. And now we're actually seeing there are people who are going through health, mental health issues. So what would you suggest? Again, you're right about that. The the pandemic has exposed the weakness of a lot in in terms of church ministry and its approach to empowering people to deal with everyday life issues. Um, We did not take a wholesome approach that to really deal with the whole man, you had to be equipped to deal with the whole person, mental, spiritual, and physical. Because again, sometimes the physical health was not addressed. Um, it has taken us far too long to come to the realization that ministry does require a more wholesome, broad approach. With parents, um, it's difficult unless they're willing to be humbled and admit to themselves they don't have all the answers. I grew up with parents who were taught your parents are always right and when they're wrong they're right <laughs> right 
Um, I rejected that for the most part. But I didn't know what the other looked like. In other words, when I'm wrong, do I admit that I'm wrong? It took me a while for me to admit to my own kids when I messed up. Right. But I think that's one of the things that parents need to be willing to do and to trust the fact that your kids love you. They know when you mess up, shoot. <laughs> you know, so to say I messed up, forgive me, will go a long ways in helping them to take value in what you tell them on an everyday basis. Yeah. Well, Craig, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. And, and, and you know, and honestly, like I said, there's no way I would be the person that I am today. The things that I've experienced or the way I see a lot of things is because of you. And like I said, man, you were in my life at a, a pivotal point. We were, we were at the dating stage. We were at the, you know, going to match. We were doing all that stuff. And you took, again, I'm always amazed by how you, every summer, you took a busloads, not one or two busloads of kids across country for a week, not for a day, for a week. It was, was two weeks total. We'd be there for a week and then three or four days. So, man, I just, I just want to tell you thank you. I appreciate you so much. Um, just thanks for coming on the podcast today, Craig. I appreciate the opportunity. But let me say this. It took you guys the willingness to let me in. You guys could have shut me out. <laughs> we I, tried. And I would have lost my job. <laughs> <laughs> we tried. But you were. But I'm, I'm also thankful that you guys allow me to get some points on the back courts. Oh, well, you didn't get you a know, lot. I didn't get a lot, but <laughs> I got <laughs> some. <laughs> anyway, friends, thank you, Willard. Friends, today... The words from our our song comes from Imagine Dragons, and they go, I was broken from a young age, taking my soaking to the masses, writing my poems for the few that look at me, took to me, shook to me, filling me, singing from heartache, from the pain, taking my message from the veins, speaking my lessons from the brain, yet I see the beauty through the pain. You made me a believer a believer. Friends, I'll see you next Tuesday.